0: Just snippets of inspiration, right? Because you stood there and I'm like back back home, I'm on disability benefits, I've got no education, I'm physically absolutely shocked. Like I, I don't know, I don't know how to how to work this out. I literally have no idea. So
1: I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. A couple weeks ago, the April issue of Squash magazine came out. On the cover was Damien Mudge. The title was The Mudge Report. It's a piece mostly about Damien's incredible doubles career, capturing 60, 169 pro titles, by far the most in history. Putting the article together this winter, I sat down with Damien in the locker room on the 10th floor at the University Club of New York. So the sound isn't perfect. It is a locker room, and people were coming and going. Still, it was a fascinating conversation. Enjoy.
0: Yeah, so it was kind of an interesting uh, setup. Um, obviously, Australia was a massive squash country. like right. It was like Sports Egypt everywhere. is now, and yep. <laughs> England was back then. Yep. Um, so I, had, I was in a town called Port Piri um, that had about 8,000 people, um, and we had a 12-glass-backed air-conditioned squash center. <laughs>
1: 8,000 people in a 12 court facility.
0: <laughs> all glass-backed, all air-conditioned. Beautiful. Beautiful. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Obviously not not what you expect, right? Um, so obviously squash was very big back in the what was that back in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, so my mother played, my father played, um, my brother started playing. So it was a natural progression for me to just to tag along with the family and you know, everyone was everyone was going to the squash centres, so might as well just go to the squash centres. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was that. So I basically did that from. Age seven, I think, mm-hmm. to about 11. Um, and then what we started doing, because uh, my brother was also a very good squash player. Um, we he's start, older. Yeah, he's yeah. older. He's like three and a half years older. Yeah. Um, uh, we started traveling every Sunday to, from Port Peru to Adelaide, which is about a two and a half hour drive. To, I, would, I would get 30 minutes of coaching, and my brother would get an hour of coaching every Sunday, which is pretty impressive. But my parents started doing that kind of commitment.
1: Five hours of driving for for an half hour. For an hour and hour coaching. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was pretty impressive. Um, so we did that, you know, for a couple of years, and then obviously from an education standpoint, schooling standpoint, from um, my brother more so for that, and I was pretty driven th- through squash. Yeah, we decided to move to Adelaide right. when I was eleven, I think. Okay, um, and then pretty quickly because we were playing in some junior tournaments and stuff, and we were sort of doing fairly well in those. So um, we both um, got offered a spot at the, Institute, the South Australian Sports Institute. Mm-hmm. So we sort of I like started doing that, and that's where you played. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, we once talked about sportsmanship and how you know you struggled with that uh, as a lot of kids do when they're younger. So, tell me a little bit about that. What what uh, there was one time you you. Smash some rackets or something. <laughs> well, well, tell me,
0: tell me a little bit. Yeah, I, I actually had, uh, I had a bit of a temper when I was younger. I think some kids, not most kids, but some kids do. <laughs> yeah, <a lot laughs> I was definitely that. no exception to the rule. Yes. Um, and yeah, I remember this distinctly. I was, uh, I'd just been sponsored by this uh, company called uh, Emrick Slash Rolk uh, in Adelaide, and uh, and
1: what were they? What kind of company were they?
0: Uh, it was like a rackets and sporting company. Um, so they gave us like the rackets and the shoes and the clothing and obviously with an 11 or 12 year old that I was it was pretty Huge unbelievable deal. it was yeah. basically un- unlimited gear um, and yeah and I played like some adult tournament and I didn't obviously do so well I just like smashed like a bunch of rackets on the court after your match during and after during yeah and my parents basically came down and ripped me off the court and suspended me for six months to play so, like if you do that again you, like you're done yes. so that was quite an eye opener
1: so, they said you're not playing squash for six months.
0: Right. And
1: until recently, that was like the longest year. <laughs> you yes. never not played squash. Exactly, exactly. So, so what did you do during those six months? Like, my well, brother could, was playing? I right? could train and stuff, but I couldn't, I couldn't play in tournaments. You couldn't play tournaments. Right, I couldn't play in tournaments. It was the private mudge band. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, that basically kicked me into gear. Uh, and that was, was? that was most probably, I don't know what age I was, maybe 13, yeah. somewhere around there, 12. Um, so yeah and so and then also um, also um, had some had some mostly some self confidence issues most probably Um, so I was actually seeing a sports psychologist when I was younger and and that really really helped me out a lot Um, I actually saw him his name was Graham Winter and I actually saw him for about I'd say two years um, once a week two or three years yeah once a week twice a week and he really, he really sort of, um, he really allowed me to sort of grow into myself physically, grow into myself psychologically, mm. and sort of understand that even though from a result standpoint uh, and from a ranking standpoint I was very good, but I, I really thought I wasn't that great. Yeah. Um, Why? So, I don't know. I, I, think, I think part of it um, is it's a bit of a, the Australian sort of mentality is that you don't sort of don't know, talk, talk yourself up too much. Right. Um, right. and and I, think, and I think I sort of took that to the 10th degree. Um, even though I was very, very good, I was like you know state ranked and nationally ranked, and but I just it didn't, didn't feel that way. Yeah, I didn't feel that way. I, I was always focusing on my mistakes and what I hadn't done right, yeah. and my losses, rather than thinking of all the things I'd right. done right. Um, so that was also like a massive sort of a, a, a deal for me um, in terms of like getting my my head in, in a line in the yeah. right way. Yeah. to to be a professional I I mean I
1: think a lot of people struggle with that a little bit maybe in Australia because as you say it's like you're not supposed to talk about yourself you're not supposed to like brag and and, and, and in America that is not as common (laughs) that attitude and so you grew up feeling like sort of inadequate or that you hadn't achieved what you're supposed to right
0: and there was very little uh, praising of me which is totally fine but it's just that sort of that different sort of a culture and, and sort of thought process that you have to sort of Internally understand and be yeah. cool with yourself, and, yeah. and that's what, right. and that's okay.
1: Interesting. Um, and then, uh, and then you, you were training at the institute, and that was not the Australian Institute. No, it was the the, 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 the South
0: Australian Sports Institute f- for that province. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was also training with, um, uh, so I was training f- uh, with that a lot. I was also training with uh, uh, Alan McCulloch Casper, mm. who actually right. worked here. For, for right. a few years, right? Um, so I was full-time pretty well training with him <clears throat> for the most part, yeah. um, because I I had left high school um, early mm. to train and, right. and be. Right. Like, oh, so you you didn't ever
1: job. graduate officially graduate from high
0: school? No, you you will graduate here. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, kind of different.
1: Yeah, but you you at, at an early point said you know I want to be a squash pro. Yeah. I want to play professionally.
0: Yeah, I got a lot of yeah. kickback from it. Yeah. So basically, the South Australian Sports Institute um, and the head coach Len Atkins um, had a meeting with my parents and me when we were in the t- discussion point of this. This and is like year fifteen, or right, 15, 16 and he's. But we're basically like, you know, parents are like, I, I think we want to give Damien a crack at this yeah. and give him trying to give him a bit of a head start to sort of do full time training for a year and then yeah. try and get on, on the tour. He really loves squash um, yeah. and he's not that inter- interested in schooling. He can always go back to schooling if squash doesn't work out and basically Len was like these guys are no. basically idiots yeah. and he's not good enough and he won't do it he was very, very negative against it all and my parents were like oh, that's kind of not the support we're kind of maybe looking for." <laughs> his coach <right? laughs> Um Casper was all in favour of it um, yeah. he thought that I was going to go go deep go at yeah. least ten in the world and maybe one he, 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 he had high he, hopes he, yeah. he had very high, high hopes um, and, and so did I like, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't planning on leaving school if I wasn't going to get top 10 minimum that wasn't and I thought I had a chance of doing that um, so yeah so that was a kind of interesting dynamic to try and usually it's
1: the coach who's pushing <laughs> and say you gotta do it like don't go to school and, and it was the opposite it was, like, it was
0: the opposite so it was a, it was an interesting quantum right because my parents were pretty young parents at the time and yeah. yeah, they they're only like 16 17 years older than me um, and so they were pretty young in, in their own minds to try and figure out these pretty big life decisions right, right. Um, and school's obviously very important education's very important um, and to sort of have have my brother sort of go the education standpoint and then allow me to go the squash standpoint um, was was very cool of them and very liberal of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean amazing. So then you, you you uh you trained, you went out on the tour. Um and uh there's some stories about you having like insane travel. <laughs> there was some trip from like Japan to Japan to Argentina. Yeah, I tell, think, tell me, tell memory. me, tell Jesus. me, about, tell me about that trip. That's
0: unbelievable. Yeah, all right. Tell me. Well, yeah, I the, don't remember all the stops. Uh, well, you might not well, remember the stops. The, the, the fact that you even got the uh, got the, the, departure. the start, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty the impressive. Destination. Yeah, it was it was most probably one the 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 longest continuous trip. Um, so I just um, I just you were uh, playing in a was, tournament somewhere in Tokyo. Um, How did you do in the tournament? M- made the finals, lost in like a. $5,000, 7000 mm-hmm. event. To who? Um, I can't remember to who. Okay. Um,
1: but a good tournament.
0: A good yeah. tournament. It was great. Um, this know. was
1: back when people were thinking Japan was going to be the next big thing right. for squash. Uh,
0: right. Totally. They were pumping a lot of money. I uh, had yeah. a, lot, a lot of tournaments in there. Right. Uh, quite a few coaches were going over there. This was back in the mid 90s, 96, 97, around there. Um, uh, and um, yeah, and so and then back in the day with the flights because I obviously had no, no money, <laughs> um, I was using Frequent Flyer points. And then back in the day, you could only you could only go a return trip with a Frequent Flyer point. You couldn't go one way. So my Frequent Flies was, I think from 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 Sydney to Tokyo return. Okay, so you had to go back. To so Sydney. I had to go back to Sydney. Um, and then I was talking with my travel agent. I was like, how can I the most don't really forget the time. How can I most cheaply go from Tokyo to, to this tournament La Plata in, our, in, Argentina? In, in
1: Argentina?
0: She's like, well, she's like, I've got a pretty cheap route for I can for do you. this <laughs> I was like, go right ahead. And she's like, well, you have to go from Tokyo back to Sydney, Sydney, L.A., L.A., Miami, Miami, Rio, Rio de Buenos Aires, and then you're going to have to actually find yourself in a car and drive four hours to La Plata. And so I was like, "Well, how how long is that going to take? Uh, 68 hours, door to door." So you did. So I did it. Um, yeah. So almost you, you three days.
1: Tokyo to Sydney, and then a layover.
0: Sydney. And then you, LA, 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 Miami, yeah, you just kept on Miami, having Rio, layovers. Layover, 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 I had a, I had, I had ten hours in Rio Airport, just sleeping on the bags. Um, yeah, and then got to got to uh, Buenos Aires and then jumped in a car and drove four hours to La Plata, and then played a ten thousand uh, dollar tournament uh, with an all glass court and won the tournament. <laughs> not knowing where I was, all my gear was lost. Yeah, the, so there's no way gear. your bags make no, absolutely not. make that kind absolutely of
1: absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> that's too many flights. So
0: yeah, that was my that was most probably like my best win, ironically, and my earliest win, uh, winning that winning that ten k event. <laughs> and then did, you, did you fly home from there? Well, no. Nah, so that was when I was based myself in North America, right. up in, up in, in Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. So yeah. I flew from uh, from Buenos Aires up to uh, up to Toronto, and I was training there for you know, you know a few months and right. sort of based myself there and playing a few like local like fin tours and stuff like that, up in up in Canada. Yeah. Wow. Wow. wild. wild, wild, wild. Um,
1: yeah. So that time in Toronto turned out to be pretty formative, um, sort of by accident, right? I mean, you. One hundred percent. You know, for one, you met Gary Wade yep. there, right? Yep. Um, and, uh, and got to know the North American squash
0: scene as yep. well. Ironically, Casper, uh, uh, God, God rest his soul, um, he told me, he's like, you basically got two options in squash, like where you, where you need to basis of One's in Europe mm. and one's in North America. And I would choose North America if I was you. And this is back in 94, 95. It's like, yeah. to have that kind of Thought process to know that that North America was going to be effectively the powerhouse of squash, or at least that's where things were going to be happening, um, was pretty pretty smart of him.
1: There were a lot more tournaments and leagues and everything in Europe at that time, so the money looked better there. Exactly right.
0: So, yeah, so I sort of pushed where myself. Where did you
1: play in Toronto? Like, where, where, was it just everywhere? Like, you just bounced around? Yeah, everywhere. Well, you, you weren't based somewhere. Mm,
0: uh, well, so I was based in, in, in Toronto.
1: Yeah, but, like, not at a club. Not at
0: not a club. So okay. they were actually very, very nice and very accommodating. Yeah, right. I'd play at the RCYC. I'd play at the Fitness Institute. Yeah, so. I'd play at the Cambridge Club.
1: Right, just bounce around, yeah.
0: Meadowbrook. Um, basically everywhere were, like, Graham was training and Jonathan the Power and yeah. Kelly Patrick great, right. and all these guys. And so, Shahir Razik. Um, so it was. I, so there was obviously a strong crew back then to sort of train with and just. Yep. And so I'd literally I'd stay in uh, Brampton and I'd catch like a train in um, and catch a bus in. So I'd I'd go, I'd go with my surrogate parents up there. Who, uh, so
1: who were you staying with? Like some family?
0: So really kind of a funny story actually. Uh, so um, when we when we first went over, I went over uh, with Jason Bednarz. So he was like a guy I trained with with Casper. Um, and we and we went over to Toronto, and we're actually on the same flight as Paul Price, uh, it's got Chad Tracy, Pade, Danny Wallbank, um, and one other guy. I think I can't remember. And so we just literally didn't know we were on, on the same flight, and we so when we're walking in, we like bump into each other on the plane. We're like, what these guys doing? Where are you we're going, going right? <laughs> both go to Toronto. Uh, and, we'll, and they're like, well, where are guys staying? We're like, we don't know. We literally <laughs> haven't organized anything. This is how, like, no This is, like, where.
1: pre-internet, pre-cell
0: phone. We're like, totally. you just had to wing it. Totally, just just wing it and see what sort of went on. And we're like, well, where are guys staying? And we, can we stay with you? She's like, well, you know, and they were all based with the, the Australian Institute of Sport back then with Jeff Hunt. And so Jeff had organized For somewhere that, to stay right. at a private residence and stuff. And we're like, well, can we stay <laughs> there? We're like, we don't know. We're on a plane. <laughs> and so, literally, we rock up. And then so Bruce comes out, this like big hefty guy, and he's like, and, and I forget, he, he gets on the, on the phone with his wife. He's like, so, but like, good news and bad news. I found the four kids, or well, the three kids, but I've got two extras. He's <laughs> like, what do you think? And she's like, yeah, sure. And they were like, so accommodating and so nice. Like, who, who would do that in the right mind? They're already Take five right, young Australians. Right, Eating like horses, like, you know, just crazy. And so, and so, ironically, how it all we actually ended up turning out. The whole three guys from the AOS end up leaving after you know three or four weeks. Uh, myself and Jason stayed there longer. I stayed there the most. Started dating. I think I dated Steph back then. Uh, Steph Shewitt she now. Um, so I dated her for uh, you know a couple of years on and off. Um, and they literally end up building a room for me in the basement, literally.
1: The Damien Mudge, you know, crazy man cave.
0: Like, absolutely crazy. And so that was literally my place to stay in, in Toronto. Sure, Toronto. Wow. It was really, really, like, it was so unbelievably generous and selfless and just really, like, that's you the, can't make that stuff up. That's like. how squash is, right? right? Um, yeah, so that's the yeah, and yeah. Uh, obviously being a very comfortable, easy base for me. And then the squash was great. The, the sort of personal space was great. And yeah, so sort of, sort of, I right. you know, did it for two or three years. Um, you then... Um,
1: at some point got sick so was that uh two or three four or five years how, how long were you sort of you know on tour before so i was on tour for about
0: that? two years full-time so it wasn't that long yeah from like 19 to 21 18 to 20 like somewhere in there i, I just had my so i w- i i was paid to spa and train with the malaysian national team and Casper right. was over there coaching them right so I, I was there, paid for four weeks and so I did two weeks with them and then I actually had my 21st birthday and I was like I want to go back to Australia and celebrate that, so when we got to Australia did that, went back and then went, went down to Singapore with them, they had like a local tournament down yeah. there and on the way back for either somehow, either food or water or something hit me and it like really, yeah. like I was in terrible shape, terrible, ter- I was meant <laughs> to go to Cairo when they just had that all uh, glass caught up and running, I was going to go there and uh, trying to do that, but I just flew straight back home, straight into hospital, uh, and from this, the
1: airport straight to the straight hospital.
0: hospital. Yeah, and you were like, that sick, yeah. Like mum, like mum was a, a registered nurse, and she was like, "You need to go directly to the hospital." You were like, I was literally like off the plane like this, like just this absolutely dead, like dead, because I'd been like that for like a week, and I was super dehydrated, uh, red blood cell was completely messed, uh, my platelets went down at twenty five thousand, liver, kidney shot and the doc said he's like if you let this go another couple of days ma- marginal making it out yeah yeah I was, I was done oh. totally cooked and so I was in hospital for like a week Yeah, you know, all oh that thing yeah yeah it, it, it wasn't good wow. so I finally got over that after about three months and then so here I am right I've, I've put all my eggs in one basket I'm full time training no education right. <laughs> like I'm like okay, I need to get back out out here I need to figure this out uh, start training, couldn't really train, couldn't recover, super tight all the time, obviously not knowing what was going on. This was back in this back in the day, right, when, you know, CFS was more like a psychological issue. Right. It still hadn't been concreted as if this is actually had, legitimate. Had,
1: at that moment, uh, Peter Marshall had gone through some of it. Right, right? right. So
0: And Johnny Williams did as well. Yeah,
1: well by then Johnny Williams did yeah. as well. So you talked to them the, yeah. at the time.
0: I didn't speak to Peter Marshall I spoke to Johnny, Johnny Johnny Williams about it, and did that uh, help? Yeah, you know it's you know those guys were still in the in the infantile stage of it as well. Learning it, right? So they it, don't yeah. really know what was really going on, um, um, and so basically, you know, the South Australian Sports Institute were questionable with it a little bit. You know, like we're not really too sure with this because there's and and. Uh, Unfortunately there's no testing that can be right. done that can identify it so it's literally your word right against like, I feel terrible right and right. and I tried to say him like hang on I'm a 21 year old strong guy I quit school for this thing I'm not making this right. right. up I'm not me. trying to back out <laughs> I'm not being soft here like this is a legitimate thing I'm sleeping 15 hours a day and I don't know what's going on like you need to figure this out for me So went through his testing did you know vitamin B12 shots E shots C shots you know, did all, basically everything I could possibly do, and nothing worked. Um, and so I did that for about three to six months. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, and then for whatever reason, because I was in a pretty, pretty down, I was pretty down, well, right? Say, I mean,
1: I've talked to Johnny about it, like, struggling, the, the emotional, the the psychological side of chronic fatigue is brutal. Brutal. Especially for an athlete.
0: Well, it's totally. I mean,
1: your, your whole life since 12, 13 have been, like... I'm strong. I'm right. fit. I'm going to overcome any right. obstacle by being fit.
0: Exactly right. So you know, so I was looking for like sort of just snippets of inspiration, right? Because you're sort of there, and I'm like back back home. I'm on disability benefits. I've got no education. I'm physically absolutely shot. Like I, I don't know. I don't know how to how to work this out. I literally have no idea. So I literally, this is. You sent a fax. I a fax to Lady. Yeah, and I was like, hey man, it was before email, right? I know. And so...
1: And you hand wrote a fact? Yeah, hand wrote a fact. And then you
0: put it in the machine. Put it in the machine. Um, and I was like, hey, radio," I was like, uh, you know, I was looking for some inspiration here, you know, I've got, I'm have got i struggling with some, you know, some physicality stuff, and I just really like the way in which you handled yourself, mm. the way in which you manage yourself, both singles hardball, doubles yep. hardball, singles sure. softball, you know, you just, I just really admire you, kind of thing. Nothing bad, zero about two weeks, I'm like, "That's awesome." Just, you know, just <laughs> I literally. Thought you were a mentor. <laughs> what did I know? <laughs> and then, typical Gary fashion, right? he like writes back one line, "Got a job for you. Call me." I'm like, "That was it." That was it. I'm like, "Did you even read? <laughs> did you read, read, did what you I read, read my, my <laughs> Or you just saw, you saw my name, like, what, "What's going on?" Here? And so I finally was like, "Waity," I was like, I was like this is really, "What's going on?" I poured on? my heart out. Yeah. He's like, nah mate, you'll be okay. Like, there's no problems here. Like, just come over. Like, we'll, we'll and we'll sort right. it out." I was like, "What do you mean man, I'm over? Like, I've got no money. Yeah, you know, I'm on I'm on disability benefits here. I've never coached a person in my life. You've never given a lesson. I've never given a lesson. Literally, literally, never given a lesson in my life. Um, I've got no papers. Right. And I'm sleeping 15 hours a day. Like, why? How? How am I even gonna qualify in any way, in any, in any way, shape or form? He's like, he's like, Gary, I love him. He's like, we'll like figure it out." We'll figure it out. I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, come, I'm coming over. He's like, all right. Wasn't the
1: story you told me this that like, you know, they needed an assistant here, coincidentally, right? I mean, you didn't show up for right. that job. So they needed an assistant, and their rule for the assistant was like, uh, we want a guy who's got experience. We want a guy uh, who's American or whatever who doesn't, have, you know, has papers, so right. we don't have to fiddle with that. And we want, I don't know, there was a third
0: thing. What they, or was there just two? Well, and they were always half-joking about and someone that spoke English. Oh. <laughs> well, that's zero, a half, and zero, and zero. <laughs> literally, I, well, I, you were not
1: the right candidate. I was not
0: the right candidate. I was, literally, I had about a half a point on three. <laughs> And, and, and even half was marginal.
1: With <laughs> Subtitles. Yes, exactly right. Oh, my, oh God. my God. But, uh, you know, part of it, I guess, is Gary's, you know, personality. And, you know, he's so charismatic. was said, okay, I, Gary thinks this is the guy.
0: And, and fortunately, it was at the time in the world when things weren't completely officially done exactly by the book. Right. Like they are now. Right. Like you can't go through anything without HR, without everyone involved. And that was not even close to the case. Like the like the dorm like uh, G, uh, the uh, GM. He was he wasn't really involved. In it he was basically the, the the squash chairman. Basically, gave all the power to Gary. He was like, "You figure it out. These are your guidelines. Figure it out." And he didn't even go with the guidelines. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately for me, um, yeah. So it was. It, it's really been like you can't you you literally can't make this stuff up. It, it's like. Uh, you know, I just, I still to this day after 22 years, I'm still like quasi pinching myself that it's that it panned out the way it did, and it's just, yeah, it's really amazing, unbelievable.
1: Well, in your chronic fatigue, got better and better, right? I mean, in the beginning, though, you were sort of pretty,
0: yeah, I wasn't still good sleeping, yeah, I wasn't good. So you
1: were napping during the day, yeah, right? yeah. Like
0: they allowed me you, to take naps during the day. Where would you nap? Uh, down in the fitness center, um, yeah, they got the pool there yeah. and they got the benches that let me sleep there for a couple of hours a day. Yeah, it was very, very generous of them I was, and they would see me because I'd I'd walk in, I'd just be like glass-eyed and just like dark rings and like just taking (laughs) that. So they were so everyone was so accommodating and so just manageable, just to make make me feel comfortable—not only comfortable, but actually help you get help me get a job. Like it's kind of crazy. And so yeah, for about two years when I was here, I still was still was really struggling. Um, And then it got to a point where. And that's where the psychological thing with CFS comes in, because your your body gets used to feeling not great, right. and, and so your parameter of what normal is is down here now, yeah. and so you can't you can't realise what normal is, and so you start getting these like psychological funks because your ability to 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 to, to have an assessment of your body is gone, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is weird to say, right? Because people have have normal assessments, right? The normal here yeah. and they feel right. flat, they feel good. And so I was like, well h- how am I how am I gonna judge myself? Like physically, how am I gonna do it? And so I was like, you know, I need to I need to do something different than just do my day to day because my day to day I'm not feeling an, uh, a, yeah. you know, different. So once a m- basically once a month I'd go for like a six month just uh, a six mile flat out run. Just ham myself. You mean, like
1: up to Central Park or something. Or yeah, on the on in Central the Park
0: or like you know, I was taking this to go down in Jersey, you know, along the boardwalk down there and I'd just ham myself for about forty minutes, just a flat out run. And then I'd be in bed for like a week, right? Because my body just couldn't handle it, right? And but it then, was the way you test right, to see. to see how I would react to it. Right. And so I literally did that for about two years, just testing myself Each once in my test myself, test myself, test myself, test wow. myself, test myself. On then, the boardwalk in Jersey City? Yeah, and then that's what actually turned. So I was, uh, I was down uh, in Jersey over the summer, and, um, and I was like, hey, guys, I'm just going to go for a run expecting me. Because I'll literally, I'll, I'll be in their family functions asleep like it's pretty embarrassing right I'm here I'm being invited to be in their family I'm literally asleep on the couches just like it was pretty pretty tough right and so I'm like hey guys I'm going for right? and they just expect me just to come home and just be like dead again and then I came home and I was like I don't feel too bad I don't need to, take, need to take a nap right now and then I was thinking, well, and normally it really, it really affected like, like when I went to bed and, and how how I woke up. That like normally would be just done. And I woke up and I felt pretty refreshed. So I'm like, I'm like, this 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 feels a little different. So I was like, you know what, guys, I should go for another run. So I went for another, you know, another run the next day. I woke up, felt great. I was like, I must be, must be healed. And that was it. That was it. That was it. Yeah, really wild. Really wild.
1: Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer, Grant Irving, and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, have spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your Knicks roll.